Thank you, Town Creek Baptist Church. You have really uh, gone overboard and been wonderful to me and with my wife as we've been with you for these two weeks. It's been a joy. It's been a wonderful to see some old faces that I've known for, for, for a number of years that have been that are here. I had the opportunity several years ago to uh, go to First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. Now, uh, I don't know how it is now. This is years ago. But that church is, is humongous. They're, they're, uh, they've sort of taken over the city of Jacksonville with evangelism and outreach for the people. The ministries they have are unbelievable. But, but the church itself, as big as it was, had that, that warmth of, of a small church. Again, I had the opportunity to go to Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, when Dr. Adrian Rogers was still alive, and the people there the same way. I can sense that same thing here at Town Creek Baptist Church. Uh, you have wonderful facilities. You have a great pastor. You have love for one another, and you desire to evangelize, evangelize Aiken County. And uh, I want to encourage you, do not... Be hindered, do not become, dis become discouraged, but continue in that journey. Aiken needs a church to stand up and lead the way. Not necessarily in size and, and those kind of things, but preaching the gospel. Not compromising, not turning away from responsibility, but reaching people, lost people for Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... I can assure you of one thing that I know for sure. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to meet Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe you're here today and you're discouraged. Things have gone kind of hard for you and you're going through troubled times in your life. Today is the day for renewal. Today is the day for revival. And uh, even though revival is not used much in our, in our Baptist faith anymore, our denomination... It's still necessary. So how do you know that, preacher? Because God gave us evangelists. He tells them to come and stir the hearts of the people. Get us rammed up and ready to go. You know, football players need cheerleaders. Somebody's got to cheer on, especially when they're not any good and they can't win a game. They need somebody to holler for them, and cheerleaders are good at that. They seem to be optimistic regardless of what the scoreboard says. Well, that's what we are. We are body believers and we're in the game of life. And that life is extended to those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Thank you again, uh, Town Creek. And thank you, uh, Clint. I saw him come around the corner this morning. I said, oh, no. He must have heard the sermon last week. That he come to rescue his people. But uh, he assured me that uh, he's on vacation. Preachers, preachers have a hard time taking vacation. You may not believe that, at least the ones that I know. It's hard not to be in your church with your people on Sunday morning. You can go to all the churches in the country, and you'll find some good ones, and you'll find some that are not so good. But finding your people can only be found in one place. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. So he's back with us today, and I'm glad to see him. He had a, uh, a good time at Edisto. My family spent many, many vacations there years and four years. Have your Bibles. You can turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse number 14. 
Edwin Markham uh, was an American poet. He lived from 1852 to 1940. And he was uh, an activist to some degree. He was a philosopher. He was a poet, a writer. He was a saint of God. And he often received invitations from churches to come and speak about things concerning. He come through a time of depression in this country when people needed something stronger than just everyday living. They needed hope for tomorrow. And men like Edwin Markham was one of those kind of men. He spoke with enthusiasm. He had a heart for the working man, the man that, uh, uh, that provided and, and was good fathers and husbands to their, family, to their wife and their family. This man had, was a little bit larger than life. You meet them on occasions. I remember years and years ago, and some of you that's from this area might remember a man by the name of G.E. Snyder. Now, G.E. was uh, still preaching in his 90s when he came to uh, Bethel Baptist Church years ago, and he was going to supply for a while. We were without a pastor. And he could hold the attention of four, five, and six, and seven-year-olds better than any preacher I'd ever seen. They listened to every word he had to say. He had that grandfather mentality about him, I guess. But he, he preached from God's word, and much of the scripture that he used, he didn't read, he quoted. And uh, Brother Quinn and I were talking a little bit earlier. It's, there's nothing that can replace the putting of God's word in your heart and in your mind. I call it living out your salvation. And the reason I call that living out your salvation because that's what Paul claimed that we need to do is to live out our salvation. Every day, people need to see an attitude of a spirit of hope. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to walk around with a smile on your face all the time and you're going to tell jokes and you're going to be ha-ha happy. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you live above the circumstance that you happen to be in. It may be difficult. It may be very, very hard. But because you know the Lord and the Lord knows you, and as, as our song leader was sharing with us a while ago, we are friends of God. If we keep his commandments, we are friends of God. And he's always open to new relationships and new friendships. And he restores sometimes even when we don't nurture our friendship. Think about it for a moment. Who's the best friend you have? Maybe your wife, your husband, maybe a brother or sister. Believe it or not, it may even be a next-door neighbor, but you have someone that you consider your best friend. I think the young people call it BFF. Is that right? Am I, am I in touch here? Best friend forever? Well, you think about it for a moment. What holds that relationship and that friendship together? If you never call one another, or you never speak to one another, or you never spend time to one another, together with the, or go places together, that friendship suffers, doesn't it? It gets perhaps maybe a little less concerning. Maybe, maybe there's other things that become more important. Well, your relationship with God is the same way. If you never read your Bible, if you never spend time in prayer, if you never commit to witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ, your friendship is going to suffer. But nevertheless, God never leaves nor forsakes you. You're always his best friend, and you will always be his best friend if you know him. So I want to encourage you this morning. We're going to look at a message concerning that kind of friendship. I call the sermon, Living in Victory. You know, we used to sing, and sometimes still do, Victory in Jesus. 
That's a, that's a biblical song. That's a bib- what we sang this morning was about Jesus. That's biblical music. That's what we need to hear and refresh ourselves with on a regular basis because we want to nurture that friendship. And God, the Bible tells us that God loves to hear the praise of his children. Well, God's in that respect no different. I love to hear my children talk good about their mom and dad or, or things that we do or things that they appreciate that we do for them. Don't you think God would love to hear more often how you love to serve and how you won that lost person to Jesus last week or how you're working in Bible school this week or how you ministering to people that are in need and for goodness sakes, everyone knows that the world is full of people today that are in need. So how are they going to be helped? The government's not going to do it. Another law, another change in the, in the law is not going to help the people in this country in particular or even in the world. The only thing that I have found that will turn this country around is a greater, better relationship with the creator that created them, the savior that saved them, and the spirit that guides them. So I want to talk to you about how we're going to live in victory. Well, Dr. Markham got off the train that evening. A pastor from one of the local churches where he'd be speaking came to meet him at the train station. And with his hair just a-flowing, he, he, he would look him up on, on the Internet, you'll find. He had long hair. He was a grizzly-looking rascal. But he loved people. And he had that warm expression upon his face and that twinkle in his eye. And, and the pastor saw him and said, Are you... Uh, Brother Markham, and he said, yes, I am. He said, how are you doing? And he shouted out with a loud voice, I am living victoriously. And I thought about that. If this man can come and travel and speak to people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives his life and sets his life in motion to serve the Lord that created him, saved him, and guides him, if he was able to do that, that he can live victoriously, why aren't we selling that product more from the churches today? Why aren't people all over Aiken County just breaking their necks to get into churches today? Why aren't our, our pews full and our, and our pulpits hot on fire today? Because of the circumstances, people can't live in victory because there seems to be always something or someone seeking to tear them down or destroy their relationship or, as the Bible would say, would steal their joy. Well, God can restore it for you this morning if you desire. As a Christian, we should live the kind of spiritual life that Markham lived with an attitude that I'm living in victory. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul speaks a little bit about, about this to the church of Corinth. In verse number 14 of the second chapter of the second letter to them, he says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the day, the privilege, and the opportunity to share your word. I pray, Lord, that something may be said today that will stir the heart of some young person that desires to go into service. Lord, for an elderly person that is tired or discouraged, and especially, Lord, for that one that has never had a personal relationship with a living God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. Change us, Lord, according to thy will and thy purpose. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
To make it simple, Paul tells us if we want to live a life of victory, if we want to live victoriously above the circumstances that whatever they might be, and there's probably very few people in this room that their circumstances are identical to someone else's. We all have different things that we deal with on a daily basis. Some of us have a personality that just seems to draw people. Others may have a a personality that repels them or at least turns them away. Well, God says, if you're my children, there's a light about you because if you walk with me, you walk in the light. You shed the darkness, and it gives you reason to celebrate. Three things, Paul says, it's necessary to walk with victory. First of all, you need a thankful heart. Secondly, you'll need a strong faith. And thirdly, And maybe most important, you need a constant awareness of his presence. Our young people of tomorrow and workers and leaders in our churches need to hear today that it's possible that we can turn people away simply by ignoring them or not caring for them, not having a burden for them, not having a passion to be who God would desire for us to be. What does this verse of Scripture mean? Well, let's look very quickly. First of all, Paul says, I want to give thanks. I want to give thanks. He says, now thanks be unto God. Now thanks being unto God. Do you thank Him every day? You know, I've learned something in my life, and it's not really profound. It's not a deep theological thought. But I've learned if you can learn to thank God for the small things, it becomes a part of who you are. So that when big things come on, you can learn how to be thankful for the big things. As a matter of fact, if you thank God or thank God in those small things on a regular basis, you will learn, uh, as the Bible says, that you'll learn, you'll get to the point where you think, you'll thank God even for the trials and tribulations. Because when they become, you become stronger. And your, your faith becomes stronger. Thanks, he says, unto God. His leadership. In Psalms 119, the psalmist says in verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the first thing that Paul would tell you is, first of all, we need to be thankful for God's leadership. What kind of church do we want to build at Town Creek Baptist Church? Well, the one that we really want to build is one that is centered and focused on the Word. And Brother Clint just reminded me of that even this morning. Our church is going to be built upon the Word of God and the hearts of people. Because, you see, that's where the relationship is triggered. That's, what, that's whenever you really learn that something spiritual is much deeper than the things you see on billboards and signs and televisions and the computer. So Paul says, I'm thankful for his leadership. The second thing he says, I am thankful for his protection from my enemies. Paul also told the church of Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Folks, that may seem old-fashioned. That may seem like something that your grandfather or grandmother might believe. But the truth of the matter is, it's real today, young people. If you want to defeat the devil in your life and his temptations, the things that he throws at you, then put on all of God's armor. 
put on the word, the sword, put on, put on the breastplate of righteousness, walk in an upright way that people might know, you know what, there's something different about that individual. They're not snooty. They don't pull off themselves, but there's a light about them. There's a glow about them. My great aunt Emma, she's gone on to be with the Lord now, but she was a missionary in India for 60 years. Well, actually 44 years of full time. But she was going there before even she surrendered to the, to the gospel as a missionary. She had a, a, a glow about her when she walked into a room. I remember we were at um, the funeral of one of our family members, and she had just gotten home from India. And she had adopted a young Indian boy, and it took her unbelievable what the government red tape they could put in away, but it took her over a year to get legal so she could bring him to her to this country. But I remember on that day, and I can see it as clear as a bell, when she walked in that room, a, a pen could drop, and you could hear it. She just had a glow about her face, a light in her heart and her eyes. And even at the age, in, in her elderly age, there was still a pep in her walk. She lived her whole life with Indian people. And she ministered to them. Hundreds. She uh, built and created an orphanage there in India. And that's how she found this young man. But she told me on on occasion, whenever I, was, I would talk to her or see her or read one of her letters that she would send to my father, that she had on God's armor, that she wasn't, she wasn't worried. And she served the Lord with, with righteousness that only God can give. Well, Paul says, I'm thankful for God's leadership. I'm thankful for his, for his protection. But I am thankful for God's deliverance from temptation. How many in here that this morning have never been tempted or are never tempted? You're never tempted. Boy, this message is for everybody. We're all tempted from time to time. The devil knows your weakness. He knows my weakness, and he's going to attack me right in my weakest area. He's not stupid. He is a liar. He is deceitful. He is arrogant. He can even get in sometimes in the voices of preachers and preach a false doctrine. And they're going to answer for it. They're going to answer for it. My gospel is simple. I preach the same gospel that John the Baptist preached when he came from the wilderness. John wasn't pretty from all the indication we can get. He looked kind of rough in his loin cough and, and his long hair and his loud voice when he would go to the congregation of people. He would even go to the king's palace. He would stand up at their window and he'd say, Repent and be saved. That takes boldness. That takes courage. You really have to have something to overcome that temptation. I love the thought of young men and young women going on mission trips. One of the joys in my ministry was mission trips. I started years ago working with the North American Indian Ministries with a gentleman by evangelist John Hughes. And I went out, I guess somewhere around five to seven years, I went out to New Mexico and Arizona every year to deal uh, with the Apache. Well, his, in, in the Arapaho, his ministry began to grow and 
we went to Mississippi to uh, minister to the Choctaw, to North Carolina, to the Cherokee. And I found a humble people. You know, one of the hardest things in the world to find today is humility. Have you noticed that? It seems like there's so much pride, so much arrogance everywhere that you hear. Greed from people wanting more of this and more of that and more of this. You have to go back a ways to find the humble people. And most of them are called uh, the great generation. And a lot of them have gone on to be with Jesus. But you could find humility in abundance then. They came through depression. Many of them were starving. But all of them were depending, seemed like, on the Lord every day. They knew that if they had a meal next week, God would have provided. If they could find a job, God would have to provide that job. Did you know that the blessing that you have in your life, God provided that. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a happenstance. It wasn't something that just come along. God provides for you. I'll never be able to measure all the blessings that God has given me and my family. I thank him every day for the small things that he does. Driving down the highway and someone cuts you off or pull out, pulls out in front of you, you take time to thank you, Lord. Did you know every time you get in that automobile and drive from here to Columbia or Augusta that you probably come inches from running into someone that's intoxicated or someone on a, telephone, on a cell phone while they're trying to drive? Just inches. Do you ever think about it when you come back home? Thank you, Lord, for giving me a safe trip home. I tell you, when you really start thinking about it is when you get kids that are in college and they're off. My son went to Charleston. My daughter went to North Greenville and University, South Carolina, and they were coming home from time to time. My daughter much more than my son. But every time they get on that highway, I would pray, Lord, bring them home safely. And when they would leave that Sunday afternoon, I said, Lord, take them home safely. Little things will help in those big things. Paul says, I thank God for the leadership. I thank for his protection, and I thank for his deliverance from temptation. Matthew says, and lead, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Secondly, not only a thankful spirit, but you have to have a strong faith. And I've got to hurry, so listen quickly. He says in the next part of that verse, now thanks be unto God, which always... Not sometimes, not on occasions, but he says, on always causes us to triumph in Christ. Town Creek, you got a mountain to climb. You're looking for a door to open, then claim the claim. God, you open the door. You provide the way. I don't preach as much nowadays that I'm retired. I'm retired, and uh, <clears throat> my voice goes in a hurry. So you pray for me. Our Lord promises total victory. Did you know that? The battle that you are in today, the battle that you might be in as a family, the battle that you might be in at school or work, the battle you may be even in your church. Did you know God's already, already promised you the victory? Now what kind of individual will not claim the victory if they know it's coming. Football team gets on a field of, um, to play, 
as many coaches will tell you, the game ain't over until the buzzard sounds. That team's not guaranteeing to win over you. You go with the right spirit and the right attitude and the right sportsmanlike mentality. You got a good chance of winning. Well, in the spiritual world, our odds are even better than that. God says, listen, you've got the victory. Just claim it. You've got the victory over that circumstance. Just claim it. And so often we don't. So often... You ever find yourself, uh, so often we feel like, well, I can handle this. God, I don't need you on this. Now, you may not use those words, but your thought process tells you, you know what, I don't need God on this one. I can handle it. I can handle it. You better be careful. Remember what I told you? Satan knows your greatest weakness, and he can interfere at any moment, any time. But if you've got God on your side, he can't, he can't defeat you. He might depress you, discourage you. Don't you think Job ever got discouraged? Don't you think there was ever times when Job Job actually thought, you know what, God, I don't feel like going through this mess. But he didn't, did he? Because God had already promised Job the victory. Because Job knew God and he was a friend of God. I can do all things, Paul tells the church of Philippians 4.13. I believe that. I believe that. I don't always succeed in everything that God gives me to do. Goodness gracious, I don't have time to tell you all the things, times that have failed. But the Lord says stay in the fight because you can do all things through Christ Jesus. He gives you your strength. James tells us in 1.6, he says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. Let him ask in faith. Do you believe God for victory in your life? Do you believe God for the salvation of your soul? Do you believe God for the victory that you need? Then do it with strength in your faith. And last of all, the divine presence. In the closing part of that verse, it says, He maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. He maketh known the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. I like that. Yeah, if I have to go somewhere tomorrow, it's going to be a challenge. Has God ever asked you to do something you've never done before? And you feel just a little nervous about it? He has me. God knows my capabilities and the things that I'm not capable of. He knows them. I don't have to carry him to him, even though I should, but he knows them. But he will remind me when I go, listen, I'm already there. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. You haven't seen anything or witnessed anything or experienced anything that's not known in the man. You're not as smart as you might think you are. But if you want to be wise, then realize that God is already there. God's already prepared to meet your need. A spiritual awareness. Man's knowledge of God's presence is so important. Oh, man, if we could just see a revival in Washington, when just a quarter, just I'm not going to be greedy, let's just say 25% of Congress and the Senate and the Supreme Court, just 25% of them got on fire for Jesus Christ. Just 25% of them. You say, why so little? Well, God took 12 men 
and turn the world around. If we could just live today in awareness of God. When do you feel God's presence? When you say the blessing over food you're about to eat? Oh, that's good. You should. Thank God for the blessing that he's given you. But what about the time you're out there on that pond fishing and God's put you in a place where there's a lost man sitting right on the other side of that, that beach and God says, I want you to tell him about me. Or that person at school, young person, that, you, that uh, young people that you know that, that really need something. Their life is, is just a shambles and God just puts you in a place at a certain time because God's everywhere and he says, I want you to tell her about Jesus. I want you to tell him all about me. You will be amazed at how many places you'll find God if you'll just speak to him. Some Christians go through their entire life and the only times they really realize God's presence whenever they sit down to a meal eat or they're about to go to sleep at night. God doesn't keep a clock. He doesn't need one. He's already there. And he knows the needs that you have. Man's knowledge of God's presence gives us victory that we can walk victoriously. Jeremiah said, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see? Saith the Lord, Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Well, that about covers it, doesn't it? Heaven and earth, all places, God's there. He knows your need. Be aware of his presence. You ever had any blue lights come on behind your car? Where's Julian? I can't lie to you. He knows that I've seen blue lights behind my car. You know when I really, really, really feel convicted about driving a little too fast? When I see those blue lights come up behind my car. Sometimes as Christians, the only times we really feel convicted is when God shines the light on us and he shows us our, our faults and our shortcomings. Folks, he doesn't do that to beat you up or punish you. He just does that because it's his position as your parent to lead you and guide you and direct you in your life. It'll keep you out of a lot of places that you shouldn't be. Where do you uh, choose to see God? At church? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel God's presence at Town Creek Baptist Church. I hope you do. If you don't, it's not because he's not here. It's because you're not listening. You're not aware of his presence. That you're not open to his presence. God can give. Man, I've been early on in our ministry. Not so much lately, Clint. Uh, Brother Clint, I, early in our ministry, we had some revivals. but The spirit of God was so thick you could cut it with a knife. I mean, God was just taking over. The music just stirred the hearts and souls of people. They got aware and they couldn't wait to hear the evangelist preach. Because they knew that God was there. An old friend of mine just went on to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago named Robert Jumper. He did a revival for us one time at Second Baptist Church in Beach Island. And they... Uh, Preacher Jackson, and I don't remember, Terry Jackson, I think it was, was in Aiken. His wife, boy, she sang like an angel. 
Well, Robert asked her to come over to sing one night of the revival, and I believe it was a Tuesday night. And back then you had revivals for a week. Oh, it's tough. But we went a week. And Brother Robert and Miss Jackson got up to sing that song. Have you heard it? I've just seen Jesus. It's Peter's testimony. I've just seen Jesus. And I'll never be the same again. That's the awareness of God's presence when you see him face to face. Not physically. Don't leave here today and say, well, that nut over at Town Creek today said he saw Jesus. No, I haven't seen him physically, but I sure seen some of his expressions. I tell you where I see the expressions of Jesus as much anywhere than anywhere else. It's not in, in the eyes and face of preachers or song people. It's in children. Especially on Sunday morning when they just get out of Sunday school and they are wound up. And they got the little papers that they just finished or they've drawn something they want to show you. And you look in their little face. I have a video on my phone that the teacher, Ms. Amy Phibbs was her teacher in, um, I think it was 3rd K, 3K, 1K, whatever. The first year kindergarten. She was at South Aiken. And Miss Amy was having them the boards to come and talk to, to the crowd, our church the class, I guess, about anything they want to talk about. Well, my granddaughter went up there and she drew a cross. Then she drew Jesus on the cross. And Miss Amy asked her to explain that to the class. And she said, this is Jesus who died on the, on the cross. And Miss Fids asked her, why did he die? For the children. For the children. Jesus died for the children. Listen, it's far easier, Town Creek, to win someone to Jesus before they ever reach the age of 13. The percentage is pretty good. If you work with it and you be faithful, you win. You let them reach 18 and 21 and the percentage goes down. If they go 35 to 40 and do not meet Jesus as their Savior, it's up in the 60s and 70%. Doesn't it make common sense to let them know that Jesus came and died for them, that they may have life? It does to me. It did to my four-year-old, five-year-old granddaughter, which I thank the Lord every day. And I watch that. Sometimes I get discouraged. Sometimes things aren't going well. I pull out my phone. I even use iPhone. And I'll punch that thing and I'll pull it up and I'll play it. And you know what comes to my mind? That old song we used to sing as youth when I was in church as a young person. Going to have a little talk with Jesus. Going to tell him all about my troubles. Going to have a little talk with Jesus. That will make it right. And it does. It gives me victory that I can walk in victory when I have a little talk with Jesus. All of this is possible for us through Christ and Christ alone. There's no other avenue, nowhere else you can go. You can't go to the Congress. You can't, go to, you can't even go to your best friend unless that best friend is Jesus. You can't go 
anywhere but by the way of the cross. You can't go anywhere but through the blood to find victory, victorious kind of living. In Psalm 62, 6, he says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. You remember singing that song when you were a little boy, little girl? I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it all. But that tree that's next to that water has a good supply of nourishment. Gets its water. You stop drinking water and see how weak you get. And Jesus, the blood that flows through Emmanuel's veins, that's our strength. That's where we go for nourishment. Remember the song we sang as a child, as I shall not be moved, like a tree, how it would stir us and we couldn't wait to sing it to the church. On Sunday nights, we'd have youth nights once a month, and one of the young people would get, give his testimony, and we'd sing a lot of songs. But I remember, Do Lord, and I remember, I shall not be moved. Still sing them today. This kind of faith, trust, courage, confidence does not come automatically. What I tell you, that, that relationship with your best friend, You've got to nurture it. You've got to take care of it. You've got to maintain it. It's as much your responsibility as it ever was the Lord. Can you say something this morning? Can you say honestly? Can you say, I am living victoriously? Or circumstances got you discouraged or defeated or attitudes or spirits, your job, your place of work... Is it, is, does it have you down? Well, if you're a born-again believer, Jesus says, all right, I promised you the victory. I'll work it out. I'll work it out. I'll work it out. But you've got to work with me. Salvation's free. I believe that. I believe in eternal security. I was saved. Going to be saved. Never not going to be saved. All because of Jesus. But I have a relationship with my Lord. Do I want to be strong? Absolutely. I want to be able to, I want to, be able to walk every day victoriously. I'm going to ask Brother Clint to come and whoever else wanted to close the service today with an invitation. But I want to encourage you, if you would, please stand right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. It's not important that you see anything right now. What's important is that you hear something. It's that voice. That voice that whispers seemingly from you don't know where, but he's whispering today, you need salvation. You need victory. You need hope. All of it's found in Jesus. You can come. You say, well, why do I have to come down front? Because the Bible says if we're ashamed to confess him before the Father... He'll be ashamed to confess us. Folks, God wants to talk to you this morning. Come and see what he's got to say. Our Heavenly Father, it's your service, Lord. It has been from the beginning, first in the music and the sharing together. For these young people, Lord, that have just accomplished a great work for you, thank you for them, Lord. Continue to bless them, encourage them. But right now, there's someone or ones in this room that need to make a decision. God, give them courage to make it. The devil's already discouraging them. So, Lord, the Spirit of God, I pray you move in a way 
that will give them courage to come and find the victory they're looking for. In the name of Jesus, we pray.